0: God is doing some incredible things here at BCC, and we're just so grateful for all the lives that are impacted, all the stories that are represented. And I wanted to share something that was really exciting that happened last week on our Easter service celebration. Our church is 60 years old, and last week we had the largest attendance that we've ever had in our 60 year history. And it was fantastic. We had uh, 1,349 people in attendance um, last week, and it was fantastic to see that many people here in our building, in our our space that uh, is new to us uh, over just the past few years here in our our worship area. We had to uh, pull quite a few chairs in for the first service, and uh, for those of you who helped serve, who helped make that happen, for those of you who parked over at fairway for those of you who drove the golf carts um all of that stuff man uh it it was just a great day and then also in addition to that 1,349 people that were in attendance uh we had 149 people tune in for the duration of our online service as well so we don't know how many people that represents as well because it could be multiple people watching one screen but it was 149 people logging in so what that means church is that over 1,500 people last weekend heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the most important thing. And so it's just fantastic what God is doing here and what all God has brought us through. I mean, we've just, just I, I, this is what I've been telling people. What God is doing at BCC, it's nothing short of a miracle. And just how God is moving in and through our church. So thank you so much for serving, for being faithful, for connecting, for just uh, being a part of what God is doing and what He's continuing to do. So maybe you're here today uh, as a result of your life being impacted or touched last week. Maybe you weren't as plugged in before, or maybe you had never even uh, visited before, and last week could have been your first week. And so I just want to say uh, thank you for continuing to come, support, and let's just keep moving forward with what God wants us to do. Amen, church? Amen. So everybody has a story. All those lives Last week, all the lives here today, everyone that's in our children's ministry, everyone that's watching online, every one of us has a story, and every story matters, and every story is different. You see, although some of our experiences may be the same, ultimately our stories are very different. And here's the beautiful thing about this idea of church, is that church is this encompassing idea of diversity, and unity at the same time. It's very diverse in its representation because you have people who are different ages, people of different backgrounds, people of different socioeconomic uh, brackets and statuses, and people of different ethnicities, people of different races, people of all sorts of different uh, experiences, stories who have all come together for one united purpose. And i believe that's what the church should be should be this collection we shouldn't all look the same amen we shouldn't all have the same exact background story all this stuff it's because of these differences that we actually are unified and i think that it's interesting because a lot of people think that diversity has to be compartmentalized that it has to mean divided Our differences can be appreciated while we pursue unity together. And this is why we have to be anchored in the love of God. Because we are different and not everybody's like you. Not everybody's home operates the way your home operates. Not everyone uh, chooses to make decisions the way you make decisions. Different people dress different, have different ideas, have different thoughts, have all these different things that make up who they are, and when we come together, we just can't demand that everyone be like you because you're just the best, right? (laughs) We have to learn to appreciate those differences of one another, but focus on the things that bring us together. I can appreciate the differences, I can respect the differences, but the most important thing is what brings us together together what actually gives us this common union we just celebrated communion just a little while earlier that words compound word common union what brings us together that we actually have in common that unifies us that brings us in union together is not what you like to do with your sunday afternoon it's not the toppings you like on your pizza it's not um, the amount of money that you have it's not Um, what uh, who you voted for that's not what brings us together the world actually likes to highlight and accentuate all of our differences and the world wants to say well your differences mean that you need to be over here and over here and the church says no we want actually our differences to be appreciated because the more important thing the overarching thing is what brings us together and it's not our differences it's this one fact and this is what unifies the church is that we have trusted solely in Jesus Christ as our hope for our life here and our life beyond our experiences here. That he is that red thread that is woven through all of the stories of the people that belong to the body of Christ. And he is changing us and he is growing us and causing us to align more to his values and the way he wants us to be, not necessarily us have to submit to each other's preferences or experiences or thoughts of what things should be. But instead, the word of God brings us together. Jesus brings us together. His blood unifies us. What he's done for us on the cross through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection that we celebrated last week, that's what brings us together and unifies us. But because of our experiences are all different, how can we come together? How can we connect If we are so different, let's go over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter two, it's a very familiar story. If you've attended BCC very long, you've probably heard this text, Acts chapter two, just to give you a little bit of setup here. This is during the festival of the Feast of Weeks and on the day of Pentecost. This is a festival that would always happen every year around the same time and then they're on the day of pentecost which is one of the designated days of the feast of weeks and so here they are and they are celebrating this day and the disciples of jesus were instructed by jesus to wait to be given power from the holy spirit of god that he would be able to give them power to be witnesses all throughout their area immediately Jerusalem Judea Samaria which was a big shocker for some of them and even to the ends of the earth and so he's saying you guys are going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to do these things and so he says just wait and so the disciples are waiting on this day of Pentecost and they're in this upper room they're just praying and they're waiting and they know that there's this promise and then the Holy Spirit falls and they begin to speak scripture says in other languages And the Spirit gave them utterance to speak in languages that they hadn't learned before. It wasn't like, you know, they had Rosetta Stone or Babel and they had been practicing for this festival. Because this festival festival brought in people from all over the region who spoke all sorts of different languages. And here Jesus has just risen. From the grave, he's ascended into heaven, and the disciples are able to speak, and they're glorifying God, and they're speaking in languages they didn't know. And people who are passing by are hearing this roar of all of these languages, and they're wondering, what on earth is going on? Aren't these guys just Galileans? <laughs> these guys, they're, they're not educated guys. And one guy suggested in the scripture, well, they must be drunk. Well, I don't know if you know this or not. When you're drunk, you don't get smarter. You don't don't learn like another language when you're drunk. All of a sudden, man, I scored terrible on my ACTs, but boy, man, that alcohol, man, that helped me. I scored a perfect score on my ACTs. And Peter says, no, 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 these guys aren't drunk as you suppose. Actually, he says, what they're doing was prophesied by Joel. So this is a, a hundreds of years old prophecy From Joel chapter 2, talking about that when the Spirit would be poured out, that they would be prophesying, that they would speak, and and all these different things are happening, and he quotes that. And people are blown away because they're hearing the gospel in their native tongue, in their own language. And that's also significant of the fact that that that's the, the Spirit of God affirming that the gospel is not just for the Jews, but it's for all people of all languages. And so that's a big part of why the Spirit fell that day in that way. And you know that it was fruitful because when Peter gets up and starts explaining it and talking about it, the end result was 3,000 people got saved in that moment. 3,000 people. So you're not talking about just this group of people in this upper room and maybe five people heard it. No, no, no. This drew a crowd. And then Peter beginning to share drew a crowd. And God used all of this and worked through it in a supernatural way to advance the kingdom. And then, man, that just started this incredible thing of this birthing of what we call the church. Because it wasn't about them building a building because they didn't put a committee together and a subcommittee and start, you know, voting on what color are we going to make the carpet of our new building? And what color are we going to paint the walls? And, you know, let's acquire some property. That, that, that's not the church. That's just where the church gathers. You see, they understood from day one that this church wasn't wasn't a building because they were meeting in homes. They were meeting wherever they could. As they began to endure persecution, they began to meet even in secret in graveyards and in homes. When I went to Israel, I got to go into Capernaum where Peter lived. And there's a place that they have confirmed is Peter's house. And we got to go and visit Peter's house. And there is the original walls... Around Peter's house and then Peter did some expansion he did some DIY I imagine and uh, he expanded his home because there's a newer wall outside of the original wall and they believe the reason that Peter expanded his house and had to make it bigger was because the church was gathering in his home and he needed more room because of the church gathering in his house isn't that cool I mean, you see that this began to happen where they're meeting in homes and all over. And this was this explosion of the church. And after those 3,000 people come to Christ, come to faith in Jesus, this was the next thing that the writer of Acts, Luke, he describes happened in Acts 2 and verse 42. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Check this out. They were selling their possessions and belongings and they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. And having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's just an incredible kind of next step of what happened. And here's the thing. No one told them this is what you're supposed to do next. This is the natural overflow of people getting saved and them being transformed by the love of God being transformed by the power of God. All these people who had all of these different backgrounds, and now it's not just Jews getting saved, it's Greek people getting saved. People from different regions. People from regions that, man, we, we really didn't connect before. We didn't have anything in common. People of all different ages, we didn't have anything in common. Now all of a sudden we have something in common. And it's not just the ethnicity that we share, because that's even different at this stage. It's not just our race that we share because that's even different at this stage. You have all these people who heard the gospel in all these different languages. We don't even all speak the same language. So even the language wasn't the same. But yet something brought them all together. Something caused them to love each other in a supernatural, radical way where they began to do some crazy stuff that they hadn't done before. They said, you know what, the stuff I have? It doesn't matter because I have someone that's now my brother or my sister and they have a need so I'll sell my stuff so that I can make sure they have what they need because I don't want anyone that I'm in community with that I have this common union of Christ with. I don't want anyone to be struggling. I want to make sure that my brothers and sisters, my new brothers and sisters that I just met, that I have nothing in common with except for Christ that they're taking care of. And so my stuff, doesn't even matter the stuff that I used to like keep the stuff that I used to like hoard now I go no 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 it doesn't even matter because one of my brothers or my sisters has need and so I'll sell my possessions I'll make sure everybody is taken care of this is the behavior that they were exhibiting and then all of a sudden you see them gathering in each other's homes they're inviting each other over for lunch hey come let's have a meal together and they're getting to know each other and they're listening to each other's stories and their experience of how they have come to Christ and they're sharing the scriptures together. And they're going and listening to the apostles teach about Jesus and explain their, the, the, the scriptures. And, and I bet they're sitting around even hearing some of the stories about what Jesus did. Maybe you're hanging out with Peter and Peter recounts the story of when he walked on water and then he fell and he began to sink because he got scared and started looking at the storm. And you're just like glued you know, to this story that Peter's telling. Or maybe you're over at like James' house and and, and you're listening to James teach and he's talking about the day that this kid came and there were like 5,000 people there and James is like, it was crazy, man, like everybody was hungry. Like you could hear like this massive stomach rumble of the 5,000 people, and that wasn't even counting the women and the kids. So, so there was just so many thousands of people there, and nobody had food. Like we were so glued into what Jesus had to say. Nobody even thought about food except this kid's mom packed him a lunch, and it wasn't even like a great lunch. It was just like a few loaves and a couple of fish, and Jesus said, bring it here, and we're like, that's all we got, and everybody ate and there was like baskets of this stuff left over they're sharing these stories and they're hearing this and they're like wow you're telling us what jesus did what he taught they're talking about how he appeared to them after seeing him grotesquely beat and mutilated and hung on a cross and how they were there when he was buried and placed in a tomb and then how he appeared to them and chastised them because of their unbelievers then even after that they're seeing miracles and they're telling these stories about jesus could you imagine the excitement around the first century church? Could you imagine hearing the apostles teach, man? I bet that it was, they were packing out whatever, you know, venue they were in because people wanted to hear these stories about Jesus and they wanted to hear how it all connected to the scripture and they began to teach how these things happen. And then the result of all of that is they're gathering. Man, they want to be in relationship. They realize something. They realize if this is going to work, we need each other. If this is going to continue to expand, man, eternity matters a whole lot. And now Jesus has made a way where we didn't have a way before to connect to God. So we'd better make our lives a priority to connect with each other so we can share the gospel. And then when, 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 when people begin to persecute us, man, we know we're not alone. We've got each other's back. We're taking care of each other. This is the priority in which they lived their lives and out of this scripture, out of Acts 2, verse 42 through 47, this is where um, a couple years ago, one of the very first things that our team did when I arrived as um, the pastor here is that we all worked through this exercise together of pulling out and mining out core values, things that we said are important to our church and things that we want to act as guardrails for whatever we may do, and it came from this text, from Acts 242 through 47 and our core values are we start with scripture you've heard us say this and we want these not just to be aspirational no these things need to be true of who we are and who we are is whatever decisions we make and this should not only be for bcc but this should be for our families as well is that we make decisions starting with scripture we want to let scripture be the foundation amen And so what we do the way that we move forward we always start with scripture and that's why we start with scripture here at bcc second thing is that relationships are our priority and you see that in acts 2 42-47 where those connections those relationships man they are our priority because we know jesus in the great commission he called us to be disciple makers right he said go into all the world and make disciples and we know that discipleship happens best in the context A relationship, it's not just in a classroom setting, no, it's in relationship where we can actually do life together, walk through things together, through the highs and lows of life, and it's not just a transactional uh, giving of information where you just give and receive information, no, it's where you actually bear one another's burdens, as Scripture says. It's where we celebrate together, where we walk through things together, where we pursue unity together, and that's in the context of relationship where we really go deep in discipleship. The next one is generosity is our lifestyle. And we see that it's not just something we do. I don't, I'm not a person who just does kind and generous acts. And that can be with my time or my resources. That I am generous. I live open-handedly and not close-handedly. Someone who lives close-handed is someone who's only concerned about what I can hold on to. And they're living in fear because they're afraid of what they're going to lose. Someone who lives open-handedly says, everything I have belongs to the Lord. That includes my time and my resources. And so, Lord, it's all yours. And so how can I best honor you with what you have entrusted me with as a steward, what you've given me? How can I best honor you? And the best way to honor him is to live with an open hand, just like the people did in the book of Acts after they were transformed by the gospel. The next thing is devotion is our identity, where we are deeply devoted. Our identity comes from our devotion to Christ. So what that means is the more that I'm devoted to Christ... And the deeper that goes man the more my identity is going to be reflective of christ in me the hope of glory and then transformation is our pursuit that we're still pursuing growing together that we're sharpening one another as iron sharpens iron that we're encouraging one another that we're spurring one another on to good works and that we realize none of us have arrived right and if you are still sucking there that means you got some work to do baby Because he's not finished with you. That means he's not finished using you and working through you, but he's also not finished working on you either, because there's still transformation that needs to happen in my mind, right? There's still ways of thinking that are poor patterns of thinking that need to be renewed by the word, because I don't know it all, and neither do you, right? That's why we always should have a posture of humility, no matter how much knowledge we've gained. Because we're saying, Lord, how can you continue to transform my heart? Because I'm moving and I'm growing. And the more of my life that is surrendered to living according to the Scripture, the more I'm submitted to him, the more I'm trusting him, the more peace I walk in, the more joy I walk in, and the more my life reflects Jesus and people see less of me and more of him. And that's that transformation that we're all growing in. And we help each other do that. We have to have that community because this isn't a solo sport where we're competing to see who could be the most spiritual. Some people look at Christianity that way. And if you are, you have to repent of that because that is not God honoring. That's self-serving. If you're trying to out-spiritual your neighbor, that's not what you're trying to do here. God's not like handing out merit badges and gold stars, saying, Wow, man, whoo, you are impressive. I am lucky to have you on my team. Wow. You see, it's it's a humility thing, actually. Jesus said the the way the kingdom works is backwards from the way that you think things work. If you want to be first in line, actually, you you need to be last. And the one who is actually last in my eyes is actually first. So it's like we're working our entire lives to allow the spirit and the word to help shape and mold our heart to the place to where we're, we're eventually trying to get to the back of the line. And there's different things that God will do that helps us to go to the back of the line because what does that do? It says, Lord, it's about you, not about me. And as I grow, I take another step to the back of the line and I humble myself and I realize it's not about me, but it's about you, Lord, and it's about your glory. Jews, Greeks, old, young alike, man, sharing life together, making sure everyone was provided for, making sure everyone was together, having meals in their homes, listening, teaching from scripture, serving one another. All of this was a result of the impact that Jesus has made on the hearts of people in that first century church. They didn't just attend, they didn't just gather, they gathered because of Jesus. And that's our big idea for today, is that we gather because of Jesus. He's the reason why we gather. You see church, the world tries to separate and divide humanity, but the gospel unifies. It doesn't matter what our stories are. It doesn't matter what our backgrounds are, man. You see, the world tries to divide, and the world is working overtime to try to divide. Social media divides, right? Politics divide. Socioeconomics divide. Pride divides us. All of these things that the world tries to propagate, man, if we buy into it, if we listen to it, Man, it will divide you quicker. Race, money, all of these things, even gender. Dividing, dividing, dividing. Creating all these divisions in the world, but the gospel does the opposite. The gospel tears all of that down and brings everybody together and says, no, Jesus is what brings us together. And isn't it beautiful that when we trust in Jesus, that it unravels the plans of the enemy to try to divide? But if we drift over into all that stuff, man, mm, see, that's why we're being transformed. That's why I'm trying to work my life to get to the back of the line, man, because I realize Jesus has something going on. Even, Even a couple of Peter's disciples were like, Jesus, we're pretty important, right? My mama thinks I'm important and I'm special. And my mom wants to know, like, can we sit on your right side and your left when you, like, get your kingdom? Because we, we, we're special, right? And Jesus is like, no, bro, get to the back of the line. Like, you're missing it. You're missing it. You're making a big deal about you, and it's about Jesus, not about you. Jesus brings us together. You see, the gospel unifies us under the banner of Christ because he is our common union. And here's the thing. He is our shared need, and he is our shared answer. That's what Jesus is. I want you to get that. The gospel unifies us under the banner of Christ because he is our common union, the common denominator, and Jesus is our shared need. Every person, whether they recognize it or not, has a shared need. And that shared need is beyond the basics of Food, air, water, it's beyond that. No, it's something much more important than any of those things that we call necessities. The true necessity is for us to be in right standing with a holy and perfect God. Because that matters beyond this life. That matters when I run out of air, when I run out of food, when I run out of water, when I run out of what we call life. That still matters even after this life has expired. And if I realize that and I trust that the only way I can be right in the eyes of God is through what Jesus has done through me and what he has done for me and in me, and if I trust in that, that is the only thing that can place me in right standing with God. Not my good works. Not me trusting in the fact that, well, I'm a good person. I've never done this, 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 and this. And don't you look at all the good things that I have done? Haven't you seen? I have done this, this, and this, and this. I've got perfect attendance and this, and this, and this, and this all that matters all that matters is not what you've done not what you haven't done all that matters is have you made jesus christ your lord have you trusted solely in nothing else but jesus because it's only jesus it's always been jesus and it will always continue to be jesus because jesus is our shared need as humanity and jesus is the answer to that need he's the only one that can satisfy god's justice god's wrath Because he took the punishment for sin that you and I deserved on the cross. Because he loved us. For God so loved the world. Right? That's the beauty of the gospel. That's what brings us together. American churches divide over preferences, man. Of music styles, seating, programming, amenities. When I was in India um, this past uh, summer of last year, I asked this pastor who their church was experiencing just insane, massive growth through people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, where they planted 3,500 churches in a year. 3,500. When I talked to this pastor, I said, what on earth are you guys doing? And he told me, like, we're leading people to Christ and they're gathering in people's homes. And it's almost like he just read Acts chapter 2 to me because that's what was happening. And I was like, this is insane. And I said, so with that type of growth, like, how do you deal with, like, managing that? And I asked him, I said, like, like, for instance, what do you do when, like, people, like, divide and get upset and, like, you may have people, like, leave and things like that? And he said, brother, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, like, do you have some people that, like, don't like your music? You know, like, they're like, oh, man, or do you have people that, like, maybe they don't like certain things you do? He looked at me and he said, what? I'll never forget the look on his face because he was looking at me as the American pastor coming in as someone that he was like encouraged that I was there. And like it's kind of a big deal that this American pastor is there. And I said, well, people in our churches in America leave our churches. Like they abandon the fellowship over things like that and offenses and things like that. Like someone gets offended because someone didn't talk to them or someone didn't do this or do that. He said, brother, he said, this would never happen in India. This doesn't make sense to me. And, and I said, well, oh, how, how do you accomplish that? He said, because we're trying to follow the Bible, and the Bible tells us how to work through those things. I said, so how do you deal with problems? He said, we talk about them. <laughs> and he wasn't being sarcastic. He was innocently saying that. He was so confused by that question. Because I was asking him, with all this growth, surely, you know, this... This, this and this happens, he said, oh, he said, if someone left our fellowship, he said, brother, that would be a big deal. He said, that would, he said that's so rare, and that would be such a big deal for that to have happened. And I remember another story about um, my wife's cousin David traveled to Africa a couple times um, when he was younger, went on mission trips. And David told me this story when he got back from one of his trips where he said they attended a church on Sunday morning, and at the end of the church service, like there were a bunch of men that stayed behind and like everyone walked outside and those men were in there. And he heard like raised voices and he could hear they were talking about something important, but he didn't understand the language. So he had no idea what was going on. And David asked the interpreter, he said, what's going on in there? And he said, oh, we do this every Sunday. And he said, well, what, what's going on? He said, they're, they're working out their problems with each other. He said, what? He said, oh, yeah. He said, we, we have a commitment not to leave our fellowship and our gathering until everyone's in unity. So we actually stay behind. And if someone has a problem, they stay behind and we work it out before we go back to our homes and our respective villages. And I'm going, wow, I think some of these churches overseas have figured out some things that we in America have not. Because they understand something. They're pursuing unity. They understand that what brings them together, Jesus Christ, Is more important than what divides them and they actually take jesus seriously when he says matthew 18 and he begins to walk through steps of this idea of of forgiveness reconciliation and mediating those things and it's a beautiful picture of that and these people when they read it they say we just believe it and we obey it because the natural overflow of the love of god man it transforms our priorities and it's really the fruit amen church It's the evidence of God's spirit that is alive in us. That's what it is. It's over in 1 John chapter 3. It's the last scripture I'll read this morning. I hope this is helping us. 1 John chapter 3. The words of John chapter 3 verse 11. Read a few verses here. What does John say to the church? He says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and see his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That'll preach right there. That'll be next week maybe. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. This is what he says, he says this is the evidence. This is how you know. You want to know if you're a Christian? It's not where you park your car on Sunday. It's not the amount of religious jewelry you own or how many cross tattoos you have. (laughs) It's not how big your Bible is. It's not how many scriptures you've memorized. He says this. He says, this is how we know that we are of the truth. And we reassure our heart before him. For when our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. (laughs) And I love that because people say, well, God knows my heart when we do something that we're trying to you know, excuse and we say it like it's a good thing, like that's like a safe thing, you know? <laughs> well, you don't know my heart, God knows my heart, yes. Yes, he does. <laughs> Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, And that we love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is how we know. He said, believe in Jesus and love each other. That's what you're supposed to do. And this is evidence. The evidence of God's spirit alive in us. This is how we love one another. This is how we do it. And so I want to remind you of our prayer focuses for 2023. We're actually asking God to do this, right? We're praying that God would help us to walk in unity. And so we've been asking him, like, Lord, help us to have a greater spirit of unity with vision, with mission. Let us have so much of the love of God in us. We've been praying this all year long, that we would ask God to set a guard over our heart and over our mouth that we wouldn't speak negativity, we wouldn't speak divisive words and words of gossip or slander or complaining and murmuring, but that we would speak things that are out of the abundance of our heart of what God has done and what God's putting in us, and that we seek unity, man, that that's important in our vision and our mission, that we're having that focus and that priority on the next generation and on impacting eternity beyond our lifetime, that we're praying and asking God to do these things, that we're asking God to give us a greater spirit of humility, and that we repent when necessary. And that we recognize these things in our heart. And I want you to remember these things as we pray through these things and we continue to pray through these things. Because God is doing something innocent through us that, man, I, let me tell you something. What God is doing here at BCC, not just on Sunday morning, That's great. Easter is great, all that stuff. Good Friday, Monday, Thursday, that was awesome. it was awesome, it's great but I'm talking about the stories of how God is impacting lives not only on Sunday but throughout the week. Amen. The stuff that's happening, man, it's special. And this is what I've been telling people. People are like, "Well, what are you doing?" You know, the same thing we were doing last year, you know? <laughs> like we're not imploring or employing some some new strategy. We didn't like go to some conference and get pumped up and are trying some new fad, you know. <laughs> the, uh, you know, it's, it's we're just staying consistent, doing the things God has called us to do, and we're preaching unity and we're becoming an obedience-based discipleship church that actually takes the word seriously. And when we hear something, we want to put it into practice and be doers of the word, not just hearers deceiving ourselves. Right? You see, this is what we're doing and what's happening. And I've been telling people this: it's nothing short of a miracle what God is doing in the lives and in the hearts of people at BCC. And for that to continue, man, I'm not, I'm not foolish. I've been in ministry for 23 years and in my time I've seen the enemy sneak in to people's hearts, whisper lies in their ears. I've heard the, I've, I've seen the enemy take people and, and, and offenses and they, they they get roots in their heart, man, and, it, and and they become and I've seen that happen. And if you've been around church for longer than probably five minutes, you've seen some of those things too. And it's, and it's not very attractive to a watching world that when we become the beacon preaching hope that they have to see it, not just hear it. Amen? When we become a beacon preaching love, they have to, they have to see it, not just hear it. And so we have to be on watch because when I began to notice that God is doing something nothing short of a miracle at BCC and where he's calling us to is bigger than Sunday, it's bigger than Bettendorf, it's beyond our lifetime. When we say those types of things, I'm not foolish enough to think the enemy's not gonna try to sneak in somewhere at some point. And so what do we have to do? We have to be on guard. We have to be on watch. We have to be pursuing unity. We have to guard our own hearts, guard our own mouths, guard our own minds. We have to seek to actually be doers of the word, man. We have to help. Sharpen and encourage and strengthen one another. And so here's what we're going to do during this series. And you're like, what on earth is this follow-up series to Easter Sunday called Sunday Lunch? It doesn't even make sense. Well, here's the practical challenge for us, not only today at the end of this message, but for this entire series Get ready, baby, because here we go. Listen, the reason this series is called Sunday Lunch is because here's the challenge. Every single week, we want you to go to lunch with someone you don't know or don't know very well, all right? And so your task today is to take this message of love, unity, pursuing unity. We gather because of Jesus, taking all those ideas and you connecting, whether you go to a restaurant, maybe you invite someone, maybe it's not lunch, maybe it's coffee. Maybe you already had plans today. Maybe you do it tomorrow. Or maybe you think about even doing something next week or during this week. But your, your challenge, your mission, if you choose to accept it, right? <laughs> and I hope you do choose to accept it because how, how beautiful will this be if this body of believers makes a decision to connect in such a beautiful way where we can take something simple as lunch. And, and you don't have to buy. You guys can go Dutch. Just say that. Like, if that's... Don't be weird about it, Okay. But if you have the means and the resources and you can, then offer to buy someone's lunch. Find someone that maybe you're just getting to know or someone you don't even know. What if you just had the courage and the boldness and said, I don't know you. Do you want to go to lunch today? How rad would that be? How awesome would that be? How cool would that be for the body of Christ to love each other that well? You never know what God will do when you just sit and listen to someone's story. And here's what I want you to do, okay? I don't want you to just go to lunch and just eat and be weird like me. I'm doing it, Pastor. That's <laughs> gonna have the opposite effects. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get to know their story because remember what I said when we opened up. Everybody's got a story. Every one of us have a story. And here's what I want you to do. Ask them how they came to Christ. Or ask them, how's God working in your heart right now? Just, and talk about the message even. Talk about the things that we've all shared together. Here, as we've gathered. Talk about those things. Maybe some of you could even take the weekly study guides that Pastor Evan writes and puts together. You can take those and you can get those off of the, the Bible app, the YouVersion app. And maybe you could even have some good talking points there. Hey, just want to go through this with you and just talk about the scriptures with you. Or just talk about what, how did that impact you today? What do you, what do you think about this idea of gathering because of Jesus? And how has the gospel impacted you? Ask them how maybe they got connected to BCC. Tell me about you. Tell me about your situation, your family. Like, how, how'd you even find BCC? How long have you been a part of the church? And what are some things that, you know, God's done in your heart during that time? You see, man, could you imagine the fruit that will come of this if we take this challenge seriously of Sunday lunch? I think it'd be pretty stinking awesome. When, when um, I was sitting with the, the pastors uh, last fall, fall of 22, we began to put the um, sermon map together. And I I have the team come together and we kind of map out the whole year. And then I take all of our ideas and suggestions and I pray over it. And then I kind of withdraw and I put together like the series and kind of the different message ideas and things like that. And that's kind of how we do this. And we do it for the whole year. And that's how we do sermon planning at BCC. I've been doing it that way for years. And um, I, I, I forget the conversation, how it led to it. But this idea of this Sunday lunch thing popped up. And we all got really excited about it because we thought, man, how beautiful would this be if right after Easter, right after hearing the gospel, right after there even possibly being newer people here because of that, what if our church just loved on people so well and we got connected and decided to go deeper in relationship with each other and be that Acts 2, 42 through 47 church? See, these were the principles that BCC was founded on 60 years ago because as Bedendorf Christian Church, when they founded, what they said is they want to be a church that believes in the Bible and that lives the Bible out. If you want to live the Bible out, they said we look at Acts as a, as a model and we want to still be that same church, amen? That's still what we're pursuing. That's still who we want to grow and that's still who we want to be. And it comes through why we gather together. And getting uncomfortable... Some of you are nervous and you're like, I'm not gonna do that, that makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) That's how you sound in my head if that's you. (laughs) Then that means I'm talking to you. Today is a day for you to take another step towards the back of the line. Remember the first or last and the last should be first. I wanna take a step of humility and say, okay, I'm gonna make myself uncomfortable. And I want to connect with someone for Sunday lunch because we'll be more unified and we'll learn some things along the way too. Not asking for you to be that person's best friend or whatever the case may be, but I want us to let the love of God to cause us to stretch out, to take action that will cause us to connect like the early church did, like Jesus told us to, and because of Jesus, because it's Jesus who unites us. So Father, help us do this today. Help us to be a church that loves you and loves others so well that that love of God that has been shed abroad in our heart by Jesus Christ will cause us to move beyond what's comfortable, that will cause us to move beyond ourselves, that will cause us to live in such a radical way that it not only transforms us, but that we build bridges to connect with each other, that we're able to connect in real, authentic ways, that we're able to love each other, know one another. It doesn't matter, God, if everyone here knows everyone, but Lord, let everyone be seen by someone. Let everyone be loved and connected to by someone. And may you use this series and this time of us making this type of a commitment for your glory, Lord. And maybe even people get saved out of this. Maybe lives are transformed out of this. Maybe new relationships are built. Someone has, has an aha moment through a conversation or someone just that was on the verge, Lord, of, of disconnecting, feels loved and seen. And Lord, I pray you would just work in and through this and work in every heart and every life. And Father, if there's someone here that does not know you today, may they receive Christ as their savior. May they reach out in faith and receive that love of God.